The Rod and Staff podcast comes out of the host's passion for Christ and his church. It exists to encourage a deeper engagement with issues that pertain to doctrine and life. Check us out at rodandstaff.org. Welcome to the Rod and Staff podcast. I am your host, Roger, along with my co-host, Jason, and we're back for another episode. As we normally do, I'd like to start off with a little question for you. So this is uh, kind of a question for our, our, our church and, and see uh, who listens from our church. But the question is this. Uh, currently, you're preaching through the book of Ephesians. Yes. So after you get through the book of Ephesians, what's on your heart to go to next? Oh, oh, man. Why you got to go there? I don't, for part, there's two reasons. One, I don't want to disclose mm-hmm. uh, what I'm thinking about. Um, okay, let's put it this way. Um, eventually, I would like to go to um, a study of the book of Genesis. Ooh, okay. Okay, that's, that's an eventual goal. I think there are going to be some things between Ephesians okay. and Genesis, but the goal, I think, will be to get to um, to Genesis, and partly because I, I really want to lay some foundations, mm-hmm. um, look at some covenant theology even, yeah. something I know that's on your mind. Uh, but there are a few things that we would want to do between Ephesians and if I want to start a long series on Genesis, So, which is why I'm, I don't think that's next. Okay. So, so but after, I'll bring it up to the elders. Don't worry. After the beginning, can you go right to Revelation? Um, I've been waiting. <laughs> I think my goal is to take a sabbatical and have the rest of the elders <laughs> preach through the book of Revelation. Because um, You'll get three different views from it then. <laughs> that's, that's true. That's true. How many elders do we have? And that's how many views we'll uh, yes, end up with. Yes. <laughs> well, I, I can't ask you that See, question. That's, that's kind of mean. It was. It was a good question, right? Because it was a, I don't have to answer anything. That's a really. That was a really crafty one. Yeah. Crafty yeah. like. Wow, you're gonna compare me to Genesis? I I, I didn't say it. I just said crafty like, <laughs> and I let you fill in the blank. Um, well, can I ask you a question then? Sure. Any question? Does it matter? Yeah. You, yeah. It's our okay. show. We can do whatever we, we can want. do. We want. Yeah. Okay. So you're asking me what I'm I'm thinking of um, preaching next. Yeah. And my question to you is, what are you? What's your next book review going to be on? Well, I finished a couple books recently. Okay, I just haven't got to writing on it. Okay, um, the one I'm probably going to do next is a book on anger. Ooh, another book on anger from a biblical counselor in the UK. And to give you a little uh, sneak preview of this review, I of actually, anger or the re- okay, yes, yeah, both. Sorry. I actually uh, didn't want to read the book. Ooh. Because I thought I've read so many books on anger, I think I got this down and understanding it. Mm-hmm. And then I read it and I realized I wasn't just reading about anger, I'm prideful, so I needed to read it because there were so many good points and angles that I had not thought about okay. in looking at anger. So it was a very helpful book, and I think that's the next one to review. And then I have um, other books I've finished or nearly finished that will be up uh, after that. Okay. So. Very cool. Can't wait. 
All right, well, let's get into this episode. Uh, we are going into a topic that interests you a lot, and that is church history, and I think uh, something that you have a better handle on than I do. Uh, barely, but <clears throat> I think I think back to seminary, you know, we've had a couple classes on church history, and we're covering hundreds of years, and, you know, looking at so much information, and unless you're really studying it a lot, um, it's hard to retain the information. Yeah. Uh, but church history is very important. We, we know history in general is important, but church history has an importance, and I think you, you wanted to talk about this topic for specific reasons, so go yeah. ahead and share uh, on this. Yeah, well, I, I guess uh, one of the things you and I have talked about is moving uh, the uh, podcast in various different directions, mm-hmm. including some that are a little more theolo- theological and historical. And so this is kind of one of those uh, opening uh, you know, episodes where we're going to start to think about some church history and theology in a way that um, maybe we haven't done on the show before, on the episode, on, on our podcast before. Um, in my mind, I, I, I'm teaching through on Wednesday nights, what is the church? Mm-hmm. And with that, I've had to look back on church history and kind of walk through different moments, important moments in the history of the church where different aspects of ecclesiology and what the church is were developed. And one of the things that we notice throughout the history of the church is that a lot of times, or most of the time even, doctrine is kind of clarified and refined in the face of conflict or false teaching. So as I was you know, reading that and studying and getting ready to teach, I kept thinking, well, we're about to do some podcasts. Mm. How fun would it be to talk about, let's, let's just kind of go back to the early church and just start with thinking about false teaching mm. and how important it is for the church. Now, it sounds kind of weird, yeah. <laughs> but really, I mean, I, I'm not saying it's important that we be false teachers. Mm. But a lot of times the false teaching has been really helpful uh, for the church. And I mean, we see it in history. We see it today, I think, as well. So, uh, yeah, I just thought we would take a look at some early, you know, false teaching and see how the church responded to it. Yeah, I think one of the lessons I learned uh, when thinking about this topic is that when you look at false teaching and you look at it from the past and the present, there really is nothing new. <laughs> it's false teaching repackaged into something new yep. and taught, and we've seen it in, in different ways, and, and we'll, we'll talk about that and, and the different false teachings that existed from uh, the history of the church and then maybe even touch on some that are in modern times that yeah. we're still hearing. So when you look back at church history and, and, and think about some of the important false teachings that yeah. came about. What are those that come to mind? Well, in my mind, I was thinking about um, early on, you start, first of all, even in Paul's letters, right? Or uh-huh. even Peter, all the, the, the New Testament has all this kind of, hey, beware, be alert, be ready. There's going to be this false teaching that's coming. I was getting ready to, to teach on this, and I realized— um, you know, Paul's talking to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, and he's telling them even among themselves, there are going to be wolves that that come out and try and teach false things. And he didn't shy away from the whole counsel of God. So 
we know that at that time there was already false teaching, but that's kind of easy. You have the apostles to call, you know, yeah. get on the phone, <laughs> get Paul on the phone. No, okay, not on the phone, but you can talk to Paul, Peter, John, whatever. Well, what happens after they're gone? This is what was on my mind. There's no apostle. And now early on, by the way, you get this kind of Gnostic teaching mm-hmm. and you get these, you know, Gnostic has to do with knowledge, this kind of secret knowledge. Even if it's not full-blown Gnosticism, you get a lot of guys developing early on in the church that go, hey, we know something the apostles said that was secret, and now we have that information. Uh, one one author was saying, how convenient. After the apostles die, mm. the teaching, this hidden teaching comes out. Well, the church has to be able to respond to that. Mm-hmm. And how do we, you know, respond? Like, okay, let's say today, Roger, someone comes and says, no, I have new teaching that I believe was passed along by the apostle Paul. Okay. And they go, they come to our elders and they go, we're going to teach this new teaching that there's actually a quadrinity, not a Trinity, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, Mary is part of the Trinity. (laughs) Well, so quadrinity. Okay. Um, What's our response? You're out of your mind. (laughs) Right? Okay. And? The response is is that's false, and we can show you from Scripture why it's false and from church history and that there is nothing new under the sun. Uh, What's been revealed in Scripture about who God's character is has been written down for us. Okay. Um, And we don't need uh, a new idea that comes from your own mind. We have an objective standard. Um rule of faith we have the scriptures it's it's there the canon is closed we have we can even go back to the church fathers and mm-hmm. see what's been passed along as the faithful tradition all these years okay so what happens if you didn't have the scriptures in their fullness yet hmm. <laughs> right yeah so gnosticism arises and part of the problem with gnosticism yeah. is that um there th- th- we don't have the um canon in its fullness at least laid out like it does after Nicaea. So, but what's what's important here is it's really neat that we do see the scriptures already are being passed around Mm -hmm. and people had already recognized which ones came from Paul, which ones came from Peter, which ones they believed had authority. And we know that because the false teachers attacked those. Mm-hmm. So one of the early Gnostics, that guy named Marcion, mm-hmm. he ends up basically saying, throw out all the Old Testament. And there were certain yeah. books in the New Testament that he didn't like, and very few he liked, and he kept only those. And the church is going, well, yeah, no. A lot of people say, well, you didn't have the Bible until the 4th century. Well, that's sort of true, but not really. Mm-hmm. Because even already 2nd, 3rd century, they were saying, no, we know these letters of Paul. We know these four gospels. We know these, and those don't teach what you're teaching. So even though they didn't have the the specific books um, codified or you know canonized, so to speak, they, the church already recognized the books that were from God and which ones were not. And uh, it, yeah. it's that conflict, by the way, with Marcion and others that helped create this need to go, no, let's make sure we... Put a list out that says, these are faithful. This is what we know is from God's word. 
Yeah, I was, I was just thinking back even in Paul's time, and you even look in the book of Acts at the early, early church when it was just being formed, and you have like the Bereans, mm -hmm. and the Bereans would yep. go back and test what was being said according um, uh, to what was written, and you have, you know, going back to a standard and looking That's at right. it. Um, and then, yeah, you do have these controversies that came up, and then— in the past, they had to deal with the controversies, right? You had some very important ones, and and they dealt with them in council. So yep. when you look at that and how that was handled, those were you know um, points in time, points in church history where it was fully defined. Yep, nothing's going to change from that from that. But you still do have people who will hold views contrary to. Yeah, that and and. And that becomes really important for distinguishing, hey, what's a true church and what's not? Mm -hmm. uh, let, let's go back a little bit even further. Let's go back to, to Scripture. W the apostles appoint elders in every church, or, or yeah. if you see that in, in the book of Acts, and we, we see that there's a really important thing for the church to do is have these elders. Why? What are the elders supposed to do? Instruct in truth, but also refute false teaching. Yeah. They're, the apostles knew that there's there's going to be folks that come out and teach things that are against the teachings of Jesus, mm. and so they wanted to train up, and that's why Paul says to Timothy, for instance, you know, entrust this to faithful men who are going to be able to protect and defend this. Okay, so elders and bishops became a really big deal in the early church. As a matter of fact. One of the things that, you know, people point to some of the early church fathers and go, oh, look, they they believe just like the Catholic church believes mm -hmm. today. Um, not exactly true. They were dealing with false teaching and they go, well, those are the elders that were called. Let's let them do their job. So we're going to put some emphasis on those bishops. And but it wasn't meant to be only the Bishop of Rome or something like that. That develops later on. Uh, come to another one. You mentioned councils. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, guy named Arius, yeah, right. Starts teaching what about Jesus? Jesus is a creature mm -hmm. created by God. Yeah, the first creature, maybe the most important creature, but he is not eternal like the Father. W what do we do? He was actually very influential. Mm -hmm. um, people all around him, and he was not the only one that started believing this. So the church says, what do we do? We, well, they call a council, bring all those bishops together. Yeah. And uh, in the Council of Nicaea, they end up, after a lot of interaction and controversy, uh, coming to the conclusion that no, no Jesus is the, the same substance as God the Father. Yeah. So Father, Son, and then later on, of course, they agree in another council on the Holy Spirit well, if Arius hadn't come along, uh, would Nicaea have ever happened? Would we ever have? Would would he have ever had the clarified language for the Trinity that we have? One essence, three uh, persons. Mm -hmm. The answer probably not. Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, but isn't it interesting that even today that uh, teaching is still being taught? The Jehovah Witnesses. Oh, that's true. That is what one of their primary teachings is that Jesus was a created being. Yeah. And then you look at how they're still, you know, talking about that that was dealt with at Nicaea. 
and in order to kind of defend their views, they created new world translation, a new translation of the Bible, a new yeah. interpretation. I don't know if you've ever argued with Jehovah's <laughs> Witnesses when they come to your door. Yeah. You only get one opportunity. They cross you off the list uh, right. after they come. But they'll go to John 1, and they'll look at their translation and your translation, argue till you're blue in the face that, no, Jesus is this created being. And the Jehovah's Witnesses are pretty big group and they they are everywhere yeah you know in in countries yep. in different you know international so that's right it's it, it, it it's not something new that was something that was taught but it's now repackaged brought into the modern context yeah and and the church at that time what did they do they had to go back to the scriptures mm-hmm. and dig into the scriptures together going okay what do we know from god's word about Jesus, what do we see the apostles actually teaching about Jesus? Well, he's being worshipped. Yeah. And they believe that only God could be worshipped. How can we think that they're worshipping someone who's not God? And, of course, many other proofs in the yeah. scriptures that they look to. And then they codified it and they said, look, here we stand. This is the truth that not we're coming up with, but we believe the scripture. This is the apostles' teaching, the apostolic teaching and so now that stands as kind of the the clear mark of someone who is a Christian. Yeah. Do they hold to this doctrine about Christ? Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was, gonna, I was thinking, you know, in that, I don't know who I was listening to, uh, but they were talking about uh, somebody who was throwing the word heresy around. Mm. And they were saying, be careful with the term, because whenever you use that term, did a council actually consider that heresy? Has it been documented? Has it been written? And I thought, mm. oh, that's an interesting point. Yeah. So we often throw that around. That's a heretical view. Well, is it heretical because you think it's heretical? Right. Like, right. what are you standing on to, to use it? We It can be thrown around so easily and quickly. Yeah. But you can look back and say, okay, the controversy with Arius, it was, was a heretical doctrine. You know, at Nicaea, it was decided and clarified yep. on Christ's nature. So we can say anybody who holds to a view contrary to uh, the scripture, hold to that view as heretical. But today we don't have that. Mm-hmm. In church history, you had these councils, you had that. But today we're so... Yeah, and what do you do, honestly, with the councils that uh, <laughs> disagreed with each other? Because <laughs> yes, there were some of those I in know. history, too. Yeah. Um, yeah, and today you're right. We we have our pet issues that we like to think about, and we have a certain view. And anyone that disagrees with us, we just kind of label as heretical. Um, I, I wasn't ready to, to talk through a definition of heresy, uh, but I think that one of the things that we have to see is that heresy has to lead away from Christ. It, mm-hmm. It's kind of a, a salvific thing. If one holds to that knowingly, it puts them outside of Christ. Hmm. Um, so to say, hey, that's heresy and that's the other is heresy, I think we got to be real careful yep. with what that, you know, what we're labeling heresy. Um, th- that's interesting because, so, for, you know, there were councils that were addressing certain issues, but there are also individuals addressing issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking about Pelagius, Pelagius and his interaction with Augustine. Yeah. You know, Pelagius talks about um, basically humanity being neutral. Yeah. Uh, That he doesn't believe that Adam's sin impacted those that come after Adam. 
in any significant sense anyway. So, well, if that's true, what does that do? Well, kind of makes Jesus obsolete. (laughs) Like, what did Jesus come for? If I don't have the taint of sin and, you know, so Augustine responds to that and and starts to clarify, wait, what what do we believe about Adam and Eve and how sin transfers to their descendants? And why is that important? And, you know, so uh, even in some of that interaction, I don't believe there was a council that addressed that issue. It was just Augustine as one of the, the bishops writing against this other guy. I, I don't remember if Pelagius was just a priest or if he also was a bishop. Yeah. yeah. So <clears throat> when you look at church history and you see see all of the the... Uh, you know, false teachings, mm-hmm. you get to a period of time where you start to see beliefs start to be uh, written down. And we get to the creeds and confessions where you start to get some clarity on on doctrine, right? And that, that helps in a way to get, a, you know, to deal with some of the views that, you know, are, are false teaching. Yeah. But then in our day, it's very different that that is in certain circles. And we talk about how we we're holding to the London Baptist confession and yep. we're teaching through it and getting back to that. But today we're in a time where it seems that, you know, me and my Bible and I have my authority right here. Nobody, you know, we're, we're, yeah. you know, unto ourselves, we, we have the scriptures. God has given it to us. It's available. Therefore I know, and I can read it right here. Um, very different than, maybe in the past in church history where the word wasn't is distributed as much um, yeah. uh, to the masses. So what do you, what do you think about that and just kind of where church history has gone with dealing with false teaching and maybe the challenges of today? Yeah. I mean, one of the interesting things is if you think about the early church period, I don't think any of them would ever be comfortable with, Hey, me and my Bible, me and my own understanding of this. They were always seeking the apostolic teaching mm. and they were always trying to understand it in community. Yes. Yeah. I, I don't I can't even imagine now what's fascinating is you do have in, in Nicaea you have Athanasius uh-huh. who seems to be at some point the lone voice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but notice that it doesn't end there. Mm. You know, the, the the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And Athanasius argues for the deity of Christ and he's able to persuade because of the scriptures through the Mm -hmm. spirit, other, the other bishops around him and others that were at the council. So they all come to that same conclusion. So it doesn't mean that, uh, you know, individuals won't have a a role to play and that, that we should just because we disagree, you know, just because people around us disagree, we should just give in and believe what they're saying. No, we're trying to understand the scriptures, but we do this within community. We do this in community because we're a body and all of those who are filled with the spirit make up this body. And for us to somehow think that it's just me and my Bible, we're missing out on majority of what the New Testament says about the Christian life, which is lived out in community and I think that means both the kind of the horizontal and also the, the well, that's not the way to think about it. I was going to say and the vertical, but no, <laughs> that through history and current, you know, in, the, in contemporary time, but also throughout history. So as some people say, you know, we stand on the shoulders of giants, right? Yeah. 
they've done the heavy lifting for us. My, my church history professor in seminary, uh, Alan Gomes, used to say that. He's like, if you think you know something and, and then you, you know, look back at who these church fathers were and think about people like Augustine and Athanasius and uh, Tur- uh, uh, um, uh, Tertullian and, of course, later on, Luther and Calvin. He goes, man, we can't hold a candle to these people, again, by the grace of God. Yeah. Um, so to, to say, hey, just me and my Bible, there's a lot of risks, a lot of dangers uh, in that, uh, especially are you doing that within the church where you've got elders over you who are called to the task of overseeing your your life and even your doctrine? If not, that's kind of dangerous. Um, yeah. Now, I was thinking about false teaching today. I know we've been all over the place, by the mm-hmm. way, but that's just because I'm scattered today. My brain is okay. a little that way. But one of the things um, that I was thinking about is today we need to do a better job of using the false teaching around us to clarify faithful doctrine. I think that sometimes we're so afraid. I don't like how some people call out people constantly from the pulpit. I don't like that. But I think that I don't do it enough where I can use, whether in teaching, not necessarily in preaching, but use some of the false teachers out there to help point out and clarify for our people solid doctrine. Would you say there's a challenge, though, with using the term or the phrase false teaching and calling people false teachers when they may be, maybe I'm giving the benefit doubt, maybe misinformed Mm -hmm. or they're sincerely wrong, but the intention isn't false. So when we think of false teaching, in a sense, we're thinking and looking at the motive of the heart. This person has an agenda teaching something wrong. Yeah. For a reason. But then there is others who their teaching is just unclear. It's unhelpful. It's it's ambiguous, you could say. Or they say two different things sure. in, in two different sermons. You're like, okay, you said this, but then you said this. Yeah. If I listen just to this sermon, I'm calling you a false teacher. If I listen to this, you sound faithful. It's like, yeah. <clears throat> excuse me, using these terms, I think, so strongly when we don't, when we can't identify exactly what the false teaching is and being careful to say this is what's false yeah. and why without also attacking the character of a person that we really don't know sure their heart they i, I used a term that somebody was uh sincerely misinformed sure <laughs> because i don't know their heart i just i look at their what they're saying i'm just like, i don't understand yeah. what yeah where you're going well, I, I, and, and let, let me let me put this out there when I'm talking about false teaching, I don't mean teaching that differs from where we stand okay. or even where our confession stands. Okay. Uh, I'm referring to some of the cults out there, okay. maybe like okay. prosperity gospel. So things that, you know, churches that have a, a position that gets the gospel wrong. Okay. And I want to look at angles. So I, it's interesting. I'm, I'm reading a book by a Mormon theologian, okay. historian and theologian on Mormon theology. Hmm. And I'm reading it going, wow, we can use this to help clarify the important aspects of certain doctrines um, for our people. So I I think that when, you know, Marcion said, no, the Old Testament is not God's word because he had kind of this Gnostic belief that the God of the Old Testament is, uh, you know, is actually Satan. (laughs) That's what the Gnostics (laughs) believe. Um, So 
what do we do with that? Well, we go, no, all of the Old Testament is actually pointing to Christ. Mm. And so you can start clarifying the connection between the old and the new, and that begins begins to give some richness to uh, the teaching in the church. Or, you know, Arius is saying, no, Jesus is a creature. And then we, we look back to the scriptures and go, no, look, if he were a creature, he wouldn't be worthy of worship, and he couldn't take the infinite punishment that we deserve, the wrath yeah. of God. And we walk back and clarify the fullness of the gospel and the accomplishment of Christ on the cross. Same thing with Pelagius. Pelagius teaches this stuff about man being naturally kind of neutral, able to do good and evil, you know, just not tainted at all by by Adam. We go, wow, if that were true, what would Christ be really accomplishing? Yeah. He's just coming as an example. Well, some people believe that, right? Mm-hmm. So go back to the scriptures and go, oh, now I see why it's so important that sin is the issue and it has been transferred and passed down and et cetera. Yeah. yeah, I think that's the important point that you make about the gospel. And and when you're looking at the gospel and how that could be taught incorrectly or a wrong view of that is the distinction because we're going to have different preferences. We're yep. going to have different differences and even teaching. You you can hold two different views and doesn't mean you're a false teacher. You just you see things differently yep. from the scriptures. But there are clear examples uh, when you're looking at the cults of yep. Here is what's false. Here is the gospel they're teaching that isn't really a gospel because it's not good news. Um, but here is, are the differences. So yep. that's important to remember. So my hope is in future episodes uh, to not speak in such generalities. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully I won't be so scattered. But what I'd like to do is kind of pick apart some of these false teachings that were out there that the church had to encounter and, and deal with. And then go back to the scriptures and say, okay, first see how the church responded and what were some of the issues that developed. Um, and hopefully find some that were maybe more obscure, not like the basic ones, the Trinitarian yeah. ones that we know and deity of Christ ones. So um, I think it'll be, it'll be, it'll be fun. So do you think if they had podcasts back then, church history, Apostle Paul would have been on refuting false teaching? That's a good question. Hmm. He wouldn't even have to travel. He just do, do a podcast and send it via satellite. He can and do it from prison. He could, right? <laughs> that's right. Like he wrote his letters. <laughs> that's right. Absolutely. Uh, modern technology. <laughs> oh, man. Well, we hope uh, you enjoyed our uh, thoughts on church history and false teaching. As Jason said, we'll revisit this in specific topics. Um, it's important to think about and how uh, we can understand it better looking back to the past and connecting it to uh, the current. Um, If you have any questions or comments about the episode, please uh, send us an email, feedback at roddenstaff.org. Share the podcast with your friends, and we hope you'll join us again next time. If you enjoyed this episode of the Rod and Staff podcast, please subscribe and share with others. For more information or to contact the host with questions or comments, please send email correspondence to feedback at rodnstaff.org. That is feedback at rod, the letter N, staff.org.